Stephen Lang showing up as the blind man. He has which, a name. His name is Norman. Uh, it just says blind man here. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> My other favorite part is when she fell down. <laughs> when she when she fell down through through the through the ventilation. That was How about amazing. The, the dog that can climb up air vents. That dog that dog <laughs> that is great. great. I, I love, love that, that dog. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we'll be discussing the new horror thriller film, Don't Breathe, directed by Fede Alvarez. Every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, FilmTankShow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 79 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Sorry, I had to come up for breath. Was there water involved in this this horror film? I don't remember it. <sighs> Just an hour and twenty minutes of that. I think that's all we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't breathe. Wow, <laughs> this is this is going great, isn't it? It is. Yeah. This is about as entertaining as the film we'll be reviewing today, oh. which is. Uh, called Don't Breathe, uh, a horror thriller film directed by Finney Alvarez. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, uh, you're not alone. He hasn't done a lot. Well, he did. No, sir. Yeah, come on now. Get out of here. He, he did. Well, he did direct the Evil Dead uh, remake film. That's a, a big deal. Years. Okay. Um, still, I'd never heard of this person. So okay. this is the first time for me. Oh, uh, so your worldview is some kind of all-encompassing objective world. <laughs> we we had a, a, a little uh, debate before we started recording. I mean, it really isn't really that. a debate. Actually, it, it kind was, of is. It's not. Uh, it's, I'm it's, just it's, pissing it's, on flames here. It's you claiming something and it being completely wrong. <laughs> Who's you? Me hey, correcting you. You're going to do that later on in the podcast, so uh, glass, yeah. glass houses, man. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Google Glass Houses. We'll ships. see. Anyways, um, we don't need to get into that whole slog debate that yeah. me and Dusad had. That wasn't really a debate. But. I won. No, this. I mean, come on, Donald. Like, come on. It, this isn't how it works. Like, you can't just say you won and then you oh, win. Donald, Donald Trump. Yeah. Because he's. I was thinking Glover. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Because he's black. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. It's going to be a great show. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, that film uh, also stars Jane Levy. Levy. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Minetti. Sure. And <laughs> Stephen Lang. Clubber Lang's brother. Yes. Uh, who you will probably remember as the asshole Colonel from Avatar. Uh, so. Those are the main players in this film, and we will talk about that in just a little bit. But first, let's do a little week in review. 
Ooh. And I know someone who wants to has a lot to say about uh, the films he watched and has to sought, so let's him start off. And uh, he can finally enlighten me and Nick about the films that he watched that he's uh, been dying to tell us about. Yeah, I watched a lot of films, but a lot of them don't matter, so I'm just going to talk about Good. two. Thank, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I finally watched The Invitation uh, on Netflix just because of... I yeah. like watching it on a whim, and I really enjoyed that. And it just kind of like reaffirmed for me uh, in a trend alongside films like Coherence and uh, The Overnight, the overnight yep. that uh, I never want to go to L.A. or go to a, a fancy white people party in L.A. <laughs> just because they'll probably like either murder me or some really weird shit will or happen. Or they'll fuck up with the, you know, they'll fuck up the fabric of a time-space continuum. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no more parties in L.A. It's like, nope. No more parties in L.A. Don't do it. Nope, Shh. don't do it. Um, but the real movie that I wanted to talk to you <laughs> guys about. Thank you for telling us about that one. <laughs> is, um, so I finally decided to Drum sit roll. down, devote uh, just shy of three hours, and I finished off Nymphomaniac Volume 2. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. oh it stars. Uh-huh. Uh, say nice. it, Nick. Nice. Say it, yeah. His, his oh, hint. Oh, <laughs> His hint to us was that the movie starred uh, two black men in yeah. it, and it I was, certainly does in one chapter. Yeah, I, I was ready for you guys and, to like, ask me what their names were, and I was like, it doesn't really matter what their names and are. if you uh, watch the director's cut, you get even more in-depth with them. Yeah, I watched the director's Figuratively cut. Figuratively and depth. literally. Yeah, I, I watched that. And did was, you? Yeah, I did. Oh, you watched, oh. oh, that means you saw the self-abortion scene. Oh, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to talk about. Well, uh, I haven't even... I watched the scene because I'm a masochist. Yeah. But I haven't watched the, the the director's cut yet. But anyway, continue. Yeah, it was... Uh, it, it, it's been a while since I watched the, the first volume yeah. with, yeah, with like, Yuga. That was like a year ago. Yeah, but I still like remember... <laughs> Most of it, I can't really scrub it from my mind. Um, Not to mention, they do reference. Yeah, they do like, stuff that happens. Yeah, anyway. they, they tie it back, um, even from like the beginning of the film and the end of the film too. Um, it's uh, it's it's a fucked up film. It's really really messed up. Certainly has a different tone than Volume One. Yeah, there's there's this really interesting aside. I think after um, after the scene involving the the two black men where they're talking about political correctness and i was like oh how timely that's just like trying to like take out a uh try to delete a word from from a language is like taking a uh, a stone from the foundation of uh democracy and i'm just like well it was like uh stalin skosgaard's uh whole argument was just like yeah i was like i think like political correctness is supposed to be um in in consideration of like enabling minorities to be able to like have a a seat at the table of discourse and she had this whole thing where it's like i think people are fucking stupid and i think that they don't deserve democracy i'm just like huh i, I was not expecting this in this film i was like huh that's von Trier in a nutshell though yeah. uh are two characters basically having a discourse on whether the world is shit yeah shit or shot. not, not yeah. so shit yeah, yeah. anyway it's uh, never not shit it's not so shit yeah. um but yeah, that that uh, self-abortion scene, man. Um, <sighs> now I have not seen this scene, so could you give us a play-by-play of exactly what happens? Well, I, well, I I get the gist, but I not exactly, <laughs> do, you, do you get the gist? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm assuming it is exactly what you're saying it is. However, I don't really know the context surrounding it. So if you could fill me in a little bit, okay. that, that would help. So this follows after um, – have you actually seen Volume 2 yet? I have. Okay. So this this scene takes place after she has left 
I think it's Kay, the sadomasochistic guy who's like beating her with the, yeah. the writing Jamie crop. Jamie Bell. Jamie mm-hmm. Bell. And she leaves. Billy Elliot. She leaves her, or her husband and, and her child like leave her because of that. Yeah. And eventually she is able to break away from Kay because um, she's able to achieve orgasm after their, um, their last rendezvous. And then she just starts like having sex with a whole bunch of guys. And eventually she just stops caring, doesn't take her, her, her pill. And she's just seated at a at at a, at a clinic, and he's like, "Oh, it's like you're 11 months uh, by. It's like we can't determine the sex. It's like you want to see the, Wait, the no, kid." Wait, hold on. Let's just let's just back up here. I'm assuming you mean 11 weeks because that 11 would, weeks, yeah, that would be <laughs> sorry, 11 weeks. That would be a very controversial abortion. Yeah. 11 months, yeah, versus the the abortion which I saw, which was totally not controversial what? at all. It was it it's it's just play by the numbers. Just that sorry, it's totally not not controversial. Um, well, life begins it, at 11 months. Fuck. Okay. Um. So she sits down with a psychologist because they're trying to determine whether or not she's emotionally or um emotionally or psychologically fit to be able to go through with an abortion and she ends up leaving off in a huff and deciding to just do it herself with a bunch of homemade tools and a coat hanger and she sterilizes them and she just goes to town and and it's just uh she starts bleeding and it's it's uh Mm -hmm. nick you've seen me before when we we watch really awkward films like really cringe inducing films i I just kind of like contorted my body into like something like rigor mortis, like a fucking scarecrow, just screaming at the screen because it was just so awful. And then uh, she, like, she she removes the fetus, and it's in one it's fell. Generally, sw- how that works, and it's in one fell swoop, and it's just the most disgusting, horrible, horrifying thing I've seen in a long time. And it's <laughs> like, oh god, that's now, awful. Here's the real question. Now, <laughs> here's the real question. Well, uh, first, uh, does she do this in her own home? Oh, yeah. She does it on the, the kitchen floor. Now, here's a bigger question. Call her red-handed. <laughs> in the kitchen now, does floor. she remove the remains in her own home? Or does <laughs> oh, my she, God. Or, Are you serious? Did you just... It wasn't me. <laughs> does, she, does she put the remains in her own garbage can, or does she take it to a public garbage can like a McDonald's we, or something. We never, I, we never I, 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 I don't think the movie is interested in waste <laughs> management. <laughs> I, I think it should. I, I mean, that's... Uh, I don't... Uh, no. Maybe that says a lot why you didn't like this second volume. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they didn't show that scene. They just, okay. they just cut back to Stalin guard being just like gassed by it and talking about abortion rights and other things like that. And then there's the scene at the end where it's recounting like how she ended up her, at his doorstep. And yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was nice. The, the, the scene, touch. scene where the, the lady just like pees on her. I'm just like, hmm, that's, that's nuts. Is this really the worst thing that's happened to you? That's not, that's <laughs> not the worst thing. It's like, there's a lot of bad things that happen to you. <laughs> it's like my, uh, my favorite scene of the entire, uh, three hour or whatever. The whole runtime is with the director's cut of oh, yeah. the first. Oh, the and director's se- cut is, is like five, five. Hours. Okay. <sighs> The uh, my favorite scene of the entire entirety of the film is the spoon scene in the restaurant. That 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 fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> that that I, I wasn't I wasn't aghast by it. I was just like laughing very very hard I, when she gets up and starts walking out, and you just hear the spoon <laughs> just clinking out. I'm just like, why are you doing this? <laughs> We have to eat with those. 
<laughs> now, did they wash the spoons in the next scene? Or? Get the fuck out of here! Fuck, kill you! Wah, Damn wah. it! God! Yeah. Um, There's a. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, that was my experience watching uh, Nymphomaniac One now, and Two. Okay. Uh, did you enjoy the first part or the second part more? Enjoy is a word, well, isn't it? What did you? Would you give a higher <laughs> He's rating? Trying to coax an answer out of you. Did, would you? <laughs> did you? There is a yes. There is a right and wrong answer in Alex. I I remember laughing a lot harder at the first part. Okay, of the but film. that does that mean that you would give the first part a higher rating? I, first of all, it's one movie. I would say that I enjoyed the the first part of the film better than the second half. Okay. And not not saying there was anything wrong with the second half. It was just a lot darker, yeah. in my opinion. Even like, with uh, Willem Dafoe playing the Green Goblin, oh, yeah. playing Willem Dafoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reprising his role as, as Green Goblin. <laughs> I'm going to teach you the ways. Jesus. No. Hmm. Yeah, so I finally uh, finished the Depression trilogy, and I gotta say, it's uh, it's depressing. <laughs> well, yeah. glad we glad we cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is a great segue for me. Okay. I want to talk about two movies. Oh. Uh, one of them is Lars von Trier's Dogville, mm. which huh. is a movie I've been meaning to see for ages. And I saw that uh, you were a big fan. Oh, this is like top ten contender of all time. Oh wow! Favorites Even because... bigger than I uh, my, oh, yes. than I originally thought. Like okay. I was uh, reserved with my rating. Okay. Because I need to see it again one day and whatnot. Now, where does this? Just if I can ask yes. really quickly, where does this fall in his career? In uh, terms it's the best of... film I've seen. No, no, no. Like oh, in sorry. Timeline. Two thousand three. Okay. So it's uh, before this new wave, but after all of his uh, other stuff like Breaking the Waves and okay. Whatnot. Um, this movie is one of those movies that feels like it was made from my brain. Uh, as far as <laughs> just everything I like stylistically about movies, everything I like. Are there folk songs in here? No. Oh, man, that would have been great. But <laughs> it does end with a very good David Bowie song that is so wonderfully uh, discordant with the actual atmosphere of the movie that it's uh, delightful. But, uh, yeah, this movie is um, – so if you don't know about Dogville, and it's, this is one of the reasons why I've always wanted to see it, but it's a three-hour movie, so it's certainly a, a, an, a project, so to speak, to watch it. Um, it's a movie in which – the you are watching a play, not a play that's being performed in front of an audience, but all the action just takes place on a sound stage, and it takes place in the town of Dogville, which is a very tiny little town that has a little main street and a few houses, and that's it. You know, uh, back in the 1920s, I think during the the, the Great Depression, and. Um, so when you see these characters move around and interact, you see the chalk outlines of their houses, and you know you'll see a, a chalk outline of the main street and of the bushes and the mine shaft. You know, so it, as far as set decor goes, it's very abstract because you have to obviously go along with the idea that you're watching essentially performative art instead of what you would normally see in a movie. Uh, but putting, and for me, I love that because I love people in a room and just 
setting aside all pretense of having to make things look realistic as long as uh, the the story is engrossing. And for me, this story absolutely is because it's Lars von Trier's probably magnum opus when it comes to uh, the questions he loves to tackle, like, is human... (laughs) nature ultimately good or bad and this movie certainly (laughs) says that it is very bad and that um the idealism that we all share uh is only only gets us so far but it can be so easily corrupted uh and that's the case that as what happens in this movie the just the brief synopsis is nicole kidman plays a character aptly named grace um who wanders into Dogville, and she needs to be hidden from gangsters that are going to pass through. So as she stays with the town, um, the town starts to realize that the threat of harboring her is costing them more and more, and so therefore they feel that it's only fair to exchange things from her, like labor and uh, other stuff, and it starts to escalate. Sexual favors? starts to escalate from there uh, more and more as the film goes on. But it has uh, a a cast for the ages. I mean, it's got Nicole Kidman, Paul Bettany, Philip Baker Hall, Ben Gazzara, Lauren McCall, Ooh. Patricia Clarkson, Jeremy oh. Davies. Uh, okay. I mean, those are the people I remember off the top of my head. James Caan. Uh, oh, it's, wow. It's just a, yeah, I think like everybody, selling Garsgard, of course, uh, just everybody showed up to, to do this movie and for good reason. Cause, now is this kind of like Nymphomaniac where it's kind of a, an ensemble cast that they have their small little appearances and then they're gone. No, because that's continuing? the thing is that this the whole movie takes place in Dogville, so okay. there's really rarely a moment when people aren't even like there's really a moment when people aren't uh, are not in the frame. Okay, you know because there's no set, so mm-hmm. naturally, even if you're having a conversation in in uh, Ben's house, you can still see obviously huh. the whole stage because everybody is still acting as if you know that they're they on camera because they are okay. um, so really this was a true theater piece and wow. lines don't I mean lines do matter because it's a very dialogue heavy play but everybody is in this movie and I'm sure was a long kind of arduous task to kind of film it but I'm sure a rewarding one now was this a uh Birdman, one continuous shot kind of thing, or did it have cuts in it? Oh, no, it had cuts, okay. um, and it played around, too, to make sure that it didn't get too static. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, it opens with a beautiful kind of, and I think purposeful, God's eye view of Dogville, and hmm. it literally, almost Wes Anderson-esque, goes through and introduces all the townspeople as the camera, in one take, you know, goes through, hmm. um, and is narrated by John Hurt. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just... Uh, it's a it's a fantastic uh, movie in my uh, eyes. Um, the ending is certainly something that will. Uh, it says a lot that I watched this movie this weekend, and I watched one of the most horrific uh, horror films of all time, which I'll talk about next. Um, and yet, this is the one that made me want to throw up by the end of it, just because it is very draining to sit through and um, and watch uh, hmm. the fallacy of human nature uh, yeah. crumble. So I, I highly recommend Dogville. It's one of my all-time favorite movies now. Um, now, was this a Criterion purchase of yours? No, it's, no. it's not in the Criterion really? collection yet. Yeah. It should be, and Criterion has already done Breaking the Waves and Antichrist, so I'm sure Dogville's on its way. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it, yeah, I will be buying that day one. <laughs> so, in fact, I, I don't, I ordered it digitally, um, you know, through Voodoo because mm-hmm. all that's available right now with like a $4 crappy DVD. So, I'm pretty sure it looks awful. <laughs> so, I'll wait for Criterion to pick it up. So, um, yeah, I, and I, I recommend it. Uh, unless, with two caveats, unless you truly can't get over the fact that it's uh, this, you know, theatrical presentation of it, because some people are probably not going to get past that, um, or if you genuinely cannot take uh, uh, cynicism this thick, so to speak, uh, then no, it's not going to get better <laughs> the more you watch it, and hmm. it's a three-hour journey to that end point. But Jeez. if you can stomach both of those uh, things, I think it's a beautiful st- uh, story as far as how it's told. And how I mean, in acting. all honesty, if you, it's not like anything, like if you've seen one, you've seen them all. But I think with Lars von Trier... Um, you know what you're getting if you've if, seen if, if, two if of his films. If you've yeah. seen one or two of his films and you don't really like them at all... I'd probably just take a hard pass on it. For sure. I will say, for me at least, I thought this was slightly more, even if I think in the end the message is more depressing than probably any film he's ever made, I felt like it was slightly more palatable because of the theatrical nature, because things have to be mimed instead of, like, shown. So, um, you know, and even down to the little details, like if someone um, opens a door, they mime that there's a door there and an audio cue plays overhead, you know, Um, from that. uh, So it's it's not as visceral as, you know, Antichrist cutting off someone's penis is, you know. So I will say it could be somewhat easier to take, even though that's it's it's a weird fifty fifty uh, thing. But yeah, definitely if you if you hated all Lars von Trier movie, uh, you're gonna hate this as well. <laughs> and it might even be worse because you know it'll be in such a format that'll just distills it to its purest form. So, but I absolutely hated that. So the horror movie that I watched this weekend that I had never seen before, which is pretty blasphemy, is. 1973, I think, three or four, um, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because I had never, uh, I've seen the remake with Jessica Biel when I was a kid for some reason, Uh uh, but I never actually went. And Arlie uh, Emery. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I'd never seen the original, and I stayed away from it for a lot of reasons, which was that obviously. Well, that's like, yeah, because I never really liked horror movies when I was growing up. Mm. And obviously, even on uh, the journey of starting this podcast, I kept kind of saying that horror wasn't really my bag. Mm. Now that I've kind of come around on that aspect, there are certainly certain sects of horror that I'm just not into. Right. uh, uh, But I'm starting to at least go back to a lot of the classics. This being one of them, and I gotta say, this is this not in the same uh, level as what I was just talking about, Dogville. But this could easily, possibly, become one of my like hundreds of favorite films. I mean, you know, it's just a movie that I can endlessly rewatch because it is so good at being horrific that it doesn't need to be about anything else. It doesn't need to have like good acting, and uh, it's just such a. Uh, the introduction of Leatherface, by the way, is probably my favorite introduction of any horror villain I've ever seen. It is so abrupt and brutal, and yet at a distance that it just the whole thing just looks like it's such a, I don't know, horrif- uh, horrific thing that's happening, but yet that's actually happening. I was going to say that the, the, <clears throat> you know, the other crazy thing about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that, that this actual story had just happened in short order before the film came out. So. Did it? 
Yeah, I did not know that. that it's based off of. Because I know story. that the the thing scroll, but I thought that was like a Fargo type no. thing. No, it's, it's oh. actually based off of. Um, oh boy. But it's, it's not a verbatim like. Yeah, no, no. But I, I just thought it was like a true Fargo thing where they just put that at the beginning. Oh no! Just to like no, I, I believe it's okay. in, it's from Wisconsin, right. and the guy's name was Ed Gein. Oh, yeah. so there is an actual real life analog uh, to this story. So yes. that that is pretty horrific. Like, <laughs> yeah. in any uh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, but um, thank you, because now we got this movie. I, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Fuck. But no, I, I absolutely love this movie. First of all, have either of you seen the Texas? I have. I have not you seen have. I've seen yeah. both versions. Or both, both well, versions. Right. I've seen both. But you've seen the original. Yes. Yes. Um, and are you a fan of it? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, for I, someone who doesn't like horror movies, I don't. That's um, but it's a it's a really good. I mean, it's an eighty-two minute movie. Yeah, it gets in and out. It's it it is for me. If I'm going to sit down and watch a horror movie, it's what I want a horror movie to be. Yeah. I don't want it to be honestly like I want to be a little scared. I, I, I want to see some good violence. Like, yeah. and that's what you're going to and see. You so get that here, and it, you get that. Uh, I do remember, uh, and maybe that's just the time period. Um, I, I think the very ending of the film, like the actual very ending with Leatherface, is just really like disappointing. But where he's like got the chainsaw, yeah, and just dancing around, yeah, it. yeah, and yeah. I can see that. Very similar to my feelings of Jack Nicholson jogging around the forest. I will say so. I like The Shining more, obviously, because I've talked about it on here, but that's one of my all-time favorite yeah. movies. And yet I will say I like the ending here slightly more than a movie I like. like because like the 82-minute running time, it really just kind of comes and goes. And the, yeah. the sight of him in the middle of a public street doing that for like a good 20 seconds yeah. is far creepier than, get <laughs> it, it is, for sure. But at but the yeah, same time, it's a little bit of a and I get it, like, you yeah. don't want it to be, like, spoon-fed shit like we've had with every other horror film where it's just like, oh, the guy's going to pop out at the end, and that's right. it. But at the same time, it, it does, uh, you know, at the very end of the climax of the film, it does leave you kind of well, disappointed. You at can least watch me. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I mean, <laughs> that is always a... Yeah. It is always an option. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love this movie. I love the violence in this movie because it was a nice mix of restrained and yet horrific. Uh, the whole meat hook scene, mm-hmm. like, I was flinching before, like, he was even, like, you know, just about to do it. And when I love the fact that that's, that's true horror because I'm scared of it, and yet no, they don't actually show it, like, piercing or anything like yeah. that. So when you when you can create an atmosphere of terror uh, on that level, you've already pretty much succeeded as a horror movie. Well, I think uh, this comes from the Jessica Biel version. I'm one of the only people who I know that actually quite enjoyed it. Um, I remember enjoying it the, yeah. when I was, like, all, I haven't seen it since. I know that it definitely goes all the way with trying to show yeah. every single thing, which yeah. is not a hallmark of a good horror film. But at the same time, uh, the scene where he cuts off the person's leg and then shoves salt right in the Ooh, wound is that. just awful. Yeah, that <laughs> so, is, that is something. Good. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the, what a the, dick. <laughs> Fuck that guy. The only thing that really held me back from like automatically claiming it as one of my all-time favorites would be the fact that I thought that after the 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 protagonist does get captured 
Um, I at first found that horrific um, because, you know, she's uh, there for, like, their crazy dinner party. Mm -hmm. And I was finding all of that to be, like, crazy and, like, terrible. But I felt like that scene goes on a little too long uh, as far as it truly is, like, a good seven to ten minutes of her screaming and them screaming and I scream, you scream, we all scream. They screamed and then I screamed yeah. and everybody screamed like, oh, and it got like, really awkward. Right, it, like it went from creepy to a comedy. But that's also why I didn't really hate it either because I feel like half a horror is comedy, like whether intentional or unintentional. So, yeah. How uh, timely for what, what we're talking about today. I know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I absolutely love The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it's one of those movies that uh, I feel like everybody should see because it is both not as scary as you think it would if it is as far as if you're avoiding it for that reason, but it totally lives up, even in 2016, to that level of terror. Um, not a horror fan, so I don't really have that much of a dog in the fight, but it is without wow, a doubt. Wow. It is without a doubt for me, like a top three all-time horror film. I need to see it now. Yeah. yeah. We will watch it one day, don't you worry. I remember my dad uh, telling me about it when he actually went to go see it in the theater. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh my God. I just, yeah. Yeah. My, uh, when I was watching it, and my, my mom hates horror movies, and she walks by, and um, she goes, is that? And I, I was like, the Texas Chainsaw. And she goes, she just like walks out of the room. <laughs> she just shakes her head and walks out of the room. And so after the movie, I was like, "So have you?" Because she was basically a teenager when that came yeah. out. So I'm mm-hmm. like, "Have you have you seen it?" And then she goes, "What do you think?" I'm like, "I feel like you may have because I remember other stories of you seeing uh, horrible movies that gave you nightmares and whatnot." She goes, "No, we went into that movie, me and my friends." And then she goes, "I went out into my car after ten minutes and waited until the movie was over." Aww. I'm like, "That sounds about right." Yeah. But yeah, anyway, it is. Uh, it's an effect horror movie yeah so. i i would agree and it's just um that was a good time period for cinematography for horror films that that is another thing that yeah. this movie i think does not get enough credit for because it certainly is such a low budget movie but there the, the, it straddles the line between art and just nitty-gritty horror because there are some i mean there's a wonderfully sweeping shot where it goes underneath uh the swinging deck chair and a few other things that that are just so, uh, in my opinion, now kind of just seared into my memory. But when it's not being flashy, that's also like when it gets so wonderfully captures the action of what's happening and usually at a distance, which in my opinion makes it all the more frightening. I feel like we now in 2016, we have a... Uh, a boner for close-ups in horror movies. Money shots. Yeah, like we have to go right in. And I, I don't think that there's maybe one or two at the most uh, actual close-ups on Leatherface's face. Yeah, no, so, they too. definitely uh, keep it at at, uh, at a distance, at least early on in the film, which is it's a hallmark for, for, for winning. Uh, and, and, you know, that was before, and like, Nightmare on Elm Street and um, Friday the fr- Friday the Thirteenth, like that was kind of the the rebirth of the monster movie. But they did the mash. <laughs> they did the monster mash for the, the most for the most part. For the most part, you know, those films had kind of gone by the wayside after the classics. You know, from from the from the golden days of you know yeah. Dracula and Frankenstein and all that. So. But yeah, no, it's it's great when you can have not necessarily focusing on one character the entire. Like if you go see Nightmare on Elm Street and they only had like five minutes of Freddy Krueger in there, you'd be like, "Well, that was a waste of my time." Yeah, so. and yet from what I hear, some of those sequels did. <laughs> well, 
I mean, when when you start off with the, your first film and you have a teenage Johnny Depp getting sucked into the middle of a bed and blood spewing out from it, I mean, you really oh, can't go much higher yeah. than that. And that's how you start a career, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah R.I.P. Wes. Oh, boy. So, sticking with the horror film uh, oh, theme. Oh, shit. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I think I may have mentioned this in really short order last week, that a film I wanted to get into a little more detail on was An American Werewolf in London, which I saw for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, our old friend Kenny. Get it! Get it! Get it! Kenny getting to his favorite time of year. uh, October. I was going to say, Kenny's missing all of his horror talk. Well, I've tried multiple times to convince him, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting really close to him joining us for an episode. Slip him a 20. Yeah, that probably will take care of it, yeah. By the way, <laughs> uh, public service announcement, we will pay anybody to be on this show. What? Not anybody, but... No, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I've been E-mails. lobbying him to uh, do an episode on the uh, the film we saw at Sundance, Under the Shadow, for the Ooh. last seven months, and I think he's pretty close to coming around, so... Really quick, before you start, uh, do you know if he's ever seen Sleepaway Camp? Uh, I do not believe he has. Okay, the next he time should. you see him, like, just ask him, because I'm just curious, because uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I really want to know what Kenny would think of that. I think movie. he'd enjoy it. <laughs> I think he'd enjoy it quite a bit, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, watch this film with Kenny. It was uh, a decision between this and Krampus, and I decided uh, to go with this one. Yeah, Krampus is great, too. That's fine. I haven't seen it, so I really don't know, but uh, this sounded more up my alley, and I I think it was, because this was, for me, a quite enjoyable horror film. Uh, It is a little goofy, a little silly, uh, at the same time has fun elements, and... uh, very interesting use of uh, the the London landscape uh, in a just over a horrible time for graphics and that kind of thing uh, when this film came out. So you have like the the werewolf and that kind and of. What thing. nationality is it? I hate you. <laughs> wow. Anyways, <sighs> I mean, this film has the one classic scene where he actually transforms into the werewolf. How do the effects stand up? Well, that part of it is just terrific. I mean, even if there are parts of it that are like, eh, that specific part, which I I do know they spent a lot of time on that one 25-second scene, uh, that still looks great. Now, some of the, like... (laughs) Small shots of the werewolf walking through the subway. Teen or sorry, the tube. In, uh, Do you love me? In in in, me? in London, not as great, but uh, just the overall story and um, sort of the the weird, bizarre um, series of ghosts that he runs into uh, people that he's previously killed when he was a werewolf who now cannot move into the afterlife because they were killed by a werewolf and they can't move on as long as he's still alive. It's, it's a weird curse. It, it is, but at the same time, it's it's interesting. And it's uh, it was just a fun little movie that I, I quite enjoyed, and there were parts of it that I thought were, were good, were funny, uh, had some actually decent dramatic moments, and uh, some weird appearances by people, like randomly uh, the guy who's the assistant in... Uh, um, the second and third Pirates of the Caribbean film shows up as like a really young guy playing darts in a bar. And I'm like, that's that asshole. Fuck that guy. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Right? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it, it just overall uh, was quite an enjoyable little movie. And I, I'll watch it again. It was great. Was uh, as far as like 
contextualizing it with the modern horror movies and whatnot, was there a lot of like, or I should say, a lack of like jump scares and that kind of thing? Was it more? Uh, there was a little bit of that, but for the most part, yeah, no. Right, like it was more not, of its. Uh, yeah. Okay. There was a couple small little. Because someone who doesn't like the horror movies of today, because mm-hmm. of that, uh, yeah. I would still then enjoy stuff like this. Interesting too. Obviously, we'll get more into it, but I um, don't breathe, and we can talk about more about the genre. Uh, it, it, it is technically in whatever. It's fine. I'm in the. I, I'm in my on my own boat over here. Not just a minority. I'm in my own boat on it. That's fine. Uh, really, other than the first jump scare that you get with the dog before the actual like meat of the film starts, there really wasn't much uh, in. Don't Wait, breathe. Are we talking? Don't breathe? Yes, Oh, are we, we're already jumping in? Yeah, we're I'm not. <laughs> I, we're, we're talking uh, about jump scares, so I'm just uh, jumping right off into that uh, real quick. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that. No, but, yeah. I, and I'm not I'm not even wanting to talk about it. I'm okay. just saying right. that I don't remember it being as uh, as much as, as other horror films yeah. of, the, of this era. Yeah. Anyways, going quickly back to American Werewolf <laughs> in London. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a good little movie. It's an hour and a half or so. Uh, and... Um, yeah, not great, but at the same time, as someone who does not really like horror movies, uh, I'll be watching it again and again because it's uh, just got that it's got that fall feel to it too. Like Aww. I feel like can you know Twilight. So you must really love uh, It Follows. Uh, no, that is a totally different feel, but that's okay. That's a uh, fall feel. It does not. That's like it's summer. Like, no, it no, takes it place is, in, uh, it, in. No. First of all, they're in no. school, so it cannot be summer. Yeah, they actually just I mean, started school. I was going right. to say they're in like a pool during an out an outdoor pool. She is uh, yeah. shorts. With, no, no, with that shorts. pool. I'm saying fall. She yeah. is literally cleaning leaves out of your pool. As someone who uh, owns a pool, you don't yeah. do that unless it's fall. Okay. Anyways, just saying. I there were lots of <laughs> fucking short... fall. Okay, fine. <laughs> shorts and short dresses and that kind of thing. In well, maybe they live in a warmer climate. I thought they lived in Michigan. Well, Whatever. You're going to tell me people don't wear shorts in Michigan? I, this is just getting really stupid really fast. Maybe. <laughs> just like that movie. So anyways. Oh, well, for real, though. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> whatever. So anyways, uh, no. Just like a movie that I feel like would be great to sit down and watch wearing a hoodie and jeans on a nice October day. Sweater weather. Yes. So the other film uh, I want to talk about is a film that I went to go see with Nick. Uh, a movie that's got a lot of high praise, and that is Hell or High Water, which we went and saw at the theater last weekend. And um, I will say that I do not think this is as good as people are saying it is. That being said, I still very much enjoyed this and thought it was a, a really nice story that went throughout that unfortunately got a little ugh in the third act as I felt like it uh, was headed somewhere that could have been a lot better than it was. And then I got a little excited that I thought it was going somewhere even better. And then it just kind of was there at the end. And, you know, that happens with the with these movies as you can have a, a really solid story and a really good narrative and then just not have anywhere to go with it, and you have to have an ending. Um, that being said, I thought this was pretty much across the board, filled with really strong performances in varying degrees, and um, a pretty well-directed film for David McKenzie, who uh, who I have not really seen anything he's done, I don't think. He but wrote Sicario. He did not. No? Uh, no, that was... 
The the guy who wrote Sicario wrote this film. Oh, that's that's yeah. what I meant. So, and I would uh, I would I would definitely compare those films yeah. uh, as I actually I think gave them the same rating. But uh, this film I would say I liked more than Sicario, and uh, I, but at the same time, uh, all the over the top high praise for it I think is a little a little much. Nick, what are what it's are you? Ninety nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a high number. I mean, I understand how Rotten Tomatoes does it, yeah. which is just good or bad. Right. Uh, um, that's, I mean, that's boyhood levels. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I we know I, how great that film is. I, <laughs> well, it's like there I can understand even if I don't love that movie. Yeah. And Nick, I know I, I definitely like this film more than you did. Um, and I know you obviously don't. Uh, you're in the same boat as me, not quite getting the over-the-top praise for this. But what did, what did you think about Hell or High Water? Yeah, ultimately, I'm curious as to whether this is getting so much praise because this has been such a horrible summer for movies. Yeah, like, for me, at I got gotcha. you. That, that's, yeah. that's how I see it as... Because it's certainly a serviceable movie, but it did not really do much for me. I enjoyed watching it. But I did not really get anything out of it that I could carry on with me once I walked out of that theater. I thought there was, uh, for me at least, definitely too much reliance on certain themes that got hammered home throughout the film. Yeah, there's a lot of conversations about how banks are bad people, yeah. and it's like, it's not that They're I They're stealing the land, right. just like, like we stole it from the Indians. When you have ah. a movie like this, which is quite grounded um mm-hmm. that i feel like is as blunt about his message as the same message uh from the movie uh money monster mm-hmm. that's a problem <laughs> like as far uh, as certainly this is a better film than that right, right that's say. what i'm trying to say a, mo- yeah. a movie that is as like much more subtle and nuanced but when you when you scream your message as loud as uh, a, a movie <laughs> like money monster then I, there's something wrong i will give it they did get the title of the film into the film which i always give credit for yes. because you know what that is it's it's such a terrible trope, but when you can do it and oh, have I it not it. be completely awful, as long as it's accompanied by someone putting on shades, I love when <laughs> I love when char- characters say the title of the movie. Um, yeah, and it was also it was I, I finally I love that the climax was the the main character choosing between hell or high water. That was uh, well, I mean, there's really only you know either one or the other. So right. I mean, high water that's that's pretty good. I got to admit. Yeah, Chris Pine's been getting a lot of praise for this, and I thought it was just okay. Oh, I thought he was actually great. I mean, really? Well, okay. he was like the okay. the main reason for me that I kept enjoying. I, lo- I were on different sides of this. I love Jeff Bridges, and you thought he had marbles in his mouth. I so. did. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't even say it was like bad or like distracting, but like I I didn't see the, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't need. <laughs> I didn't see the need for it. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of get it. The, the biggest it. weak link of this movie, which is too bad because he's pretty much the propulsion of the narrative momentum, was Ben Foster, who yeah. I don't think is a bad actor, but. This is like, like I'm tired of seeing Ben Foster be the crazy person, and it's... he's pretty much playing the same character as he played in Alpha Dog. Yeah, no, I mean, and he's played that character in many other things, <laughs> yeah. and um, so that's why I was just kind of. Uh, um, and also, someone like myself, I love movies about uh, siblings, especially when it's one brother and one that mother. That was for me the weakest part of right. the film. And yeah. usually, I'm like, it doesn't matter how bad a movie is, but I kind of like, oh, I find this endearing because I have one brother, and so there's the whole little brother, big brother dynamic. And yeah, that was like I, it, I, 
the movie's over, and I can only I I would have only known they were brothers because they said it a few times. Like you know, it's not and it's not because brothers act a certain way, but it's true they do. And uh, I never once understood why they were tied up into each other. As, you see, and I I think that is actually on a obviously on a script writing level that's such a cop out. Um, to just say, well, we wanted to leave it ambiguous about why he is the way it is. No, it's because you suck at writing. Right, I you mean, couldn't figure out. Because yeah. you wrote this character type and this character type, and you couldn't come up with a good enough reason other than just to have a character say, you know why I picked you for this job, and like, <laughs> you know, and that was it. But I, I definitely recommend people go see it because I thought it has some good one-liners and, um, and some great I, cinematography. I thought there was... Uh, with the, with Jeff Bridges and his uh, his partner, a really nice bait and switch uh, yeah. that went throughout the film, which yeah. uh, I, I won't say it caught me off guard, but when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, all right, yep, and um, and wonderfully foreshadowed too, sure, um, and that was that was the ultimate uh, thing as far as there are two parallel stories here, and I was more interested in the one that the movie was less interested. Completely in. agreed, yeah. Um, so, but it's still it's still an entertaining, worthwhile movie. I would recommend. But um, uh, the other thing I want to mention is that I loved the soundtrack because I loved uh, good old like actual country music. And this was all, uh, if if I, I mean maybe not all of it, but for the most part, this was all original music written for this film. Was is it? it? I think so. I mean, that, that's I, awesome because so. those were really good. Songs I saw the. And... I have to look it up. If you, uh, we can. Banter for a couple minutes. Oh, yeah. Why don't we banter? (laughs) Uh, Banter, banter, banter. Wow. That's (laughs) great. No. um, Banter. I I, want to say that I saw the name in the credits that somebody, and I I had heard the name before. T-Bone Burnett? It's not him. Okay. Um, Big Dick Richie. uh, It's not big. (laughs) That's exciting. I'm sorry. Um, For a franchise that is two movies in and is already in the shitter, uh, the, the... possibility of Big Dick Richie playing the main villain in a Batman movie is pretty much the greatest thing I've heard all year. So. First of all, that's misleading, because if it was <laughs> actually Big Dick Richie, I would see that movie day one. <laughs> but in fact, it is not Big Dick Richie. It is the actor that plays Big Dick Richie. And that is a big difference. Uh, the uh, Big difference. The ori- <laughs> all the original music uh, for Hell or High Water was written and performed by Nick Cave. Oh, re- oh okay. Yeah. Well, then there were some other songs then on the soundtrack. Because yeah. there was a few uh, female vocals mm-hmm. and some other stuff. So, uh, But anyway, yeah, that soundtrack, I love uh, Americana, which is like not quite folk, but uh, like not quite country and has that rustic feel that's much better than what people call country. How about the really awful, awkward, terrible scene that involves Chris Pine beating up the guy who was in the car who was swearing at his brother? Oh, I like that. Did you really? (laughs) I mean, I like that because I wasn't loving the movie, so I I was like, (laughs) yeah, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, That was so, it was so like, as soon as that guy pulled up, I'm like, oh. I just I just like the way it was framed, basically, because I, I, I yeah. like that for, as far as the depth of field, you see the conversation, you know exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. But I love the way Chris Pine enters that frame, uh, just because it was just like, you know he's going to, but you don't get to see it until he uh, just walks right on set, basically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 
I recommend it, but yeah, it, it was interesting. I film. will not be talking about it a year from now. Yeah, I, for, yeah. for me, at least. and I, I mean, I, other than Jeff Bridges, who, uh, as I mentioned, I thought was terrific here, there really wasn't much to move the needle further beyond just enjoying the film for me. So, yeah, yeah Hell or High Water, uh, it was solid, and you probably can find it in a theater uh, for the next uh, yeah. week or two. But... It opened wide, I think. Yeah, and also there's not much else there, yeah. hammer at the door. So. Yep. Uh, the movie we are talking about today is the horror thriller Don't Breathe, uh, directed by Fed Alvarez. Fede Alvarez, I... Not exactly sure on the pronunciation. Feta. Yeah. Feta. Or, or feta. Like the cheese? Yep. Yeah. Or like the sure. rapper? I could have feta contender. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. Oh, boy. Come here with the dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, well, when, when do the good ones happen? I don't know. <laughs> there are, there are no good dad jokes. What are, you, what are you trying to say about my feta joke? I'm talking about your jokes, period. But... All right, well, now you're getting a little grating. <laughs> Because, yeah. So, anyway, your, your punch is so was, off, out of, out of this world, man. I'm sorry, that was cheesy. Ah! Ha ha! a fucking roll! I'm so proud of you. <laughs> fucking superhero over here, man. I try. Pun yeah. man. What's that? Pun man. Mm hmm. <laughs> so, uh, the film stars Jane Levy as Rocky, also starring Dylan Minnette. <laughs> Adrian! <laughs> See, it's funny because you thought that, and all I could think about was Rocky from the dog from Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Fuck off, Fuck Rocky! Off, Rocky! <laughs> anyway. Fuck off, Rocky! God. Oh, Margaret Robbie. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> that's her character's name, too. There's no other room to say it. It's so bad. Hey, don't worry. You haven't even got to money yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dylan Minetti is uh, Alex. Good hey. name. Uh also, uh, Daniel Zovato as Money, uh, and Stephen Lang showing up as the Blind Man. He has which, a name. His name is Norman. Uh, it just says Blind Man here. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> IMDb. It has absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't care at all. If Norman Nordstrom. About people with with <laughs> Norman Nordstrom. That's his name. He's the, he's the Blind Man. That's yeah. all he is. Yeah. So this film. Uh, centers around a group of friends who break into the house of a wealthy blind man, thinking that they'll get away with the perfect heist. But they are very wrong. <laughs> Whoa! They are so wrong. That was a that was a top five all timer for me. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Your lips look sore. That's how you're making your cash out there? <laughs> what do you say you and I move away from mom together? It's a promise. You're leaving? Yeah, as soon as I have the money. When are you coming back? Never. Yo, I got our ticket out of here. Rumor is this guy is sitting on at least 300K. Boom! That's her guy. Wait, is he blind? We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. Guys, money's probably in there. Who's there? Stay right there. <laughs> 
How many of you are there? Just me, man, all right? Just let me go, please. Okay, I swear to God. This film, um, boy, it just caught some steam here lately. Uh, doubled its projections for the first weekend. Still only did. first movie to beat Suicide Squad. It was. Yep. I mean, it's fourth weekend. It's but, almost as if these okay. uh, record-breaking reports are full of shit and that we shouldn't really pay that much attention to them. Well, it, it, it broke records. Who gives a shit? Well, next week is going to be, be trumped by Don't Breathe or some other Well, I mean, film. it's not like it... Like, Saying it broke some sort of record, it only made twenty six million dollars last year. No. Like it, it, I'm sorry, or, I'm not. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Like for a film that's come out in in August, it's it's not like a really high number, and it was projected to win the weekend with only twelve million, so yeah. it did very well. It's so. uh, and I think it had a budget of like ten million or whatever. So yeah. that's a, I mean, it, that's a success as far mm-hmm. as like. It, what they could have predicted. Here come the sequels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. This time, it's going to use a baby bottle. Oh. Okay, so who wants to start off with talking about... to be sucked. Who, who, wants well. to, who wants to start talking about Don't Breathe? I'll start. Yes. Uh, um... I have to say that I was quite on board with the direction of this film for the first 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and I just got bored throughout it. Uh, I didn't necessarily think this was great or bad. I thought some parts of it were were funny. I thought some of parts of it were entertaining. Uh, I thought some parts of the cinematography were pretty good, especially early on. Uh, acting was overall pretty awful, uh, which is which is fine. Uh, for for this film, and you can disagree, and that's fine. Uh, the the twist that happened here, uh, I will say that it definitely wasn't bad. And the the scene that we will probably talk about for at least a little bit uh, that happens late in the film uh, is, I thought, pretty well done. Uh, and I no? no, no, I'm just like I'm, wow. I'm taking in all this information. Okay, uh, in, in terms of. Shock value, I thought it was pretty well composed to drop you off where it dropped you off at. Not quite like Killer Joe, but at the same time, it was just <laughs> it was just an interesting point where I was like, oh, that's what's going to happen. Oh, that's what's going to happen. Oh, shit. Uh, so, but at the same time, yeah, I, uh, and there's going to be disagreement here, obviously, but... 
Um, I did not feel like there were that many horror elements here for me. What do you, I, mean, what do you mean by yeah, horror like, elements? I just mean? don't like... Like, you, you didn't think it was scary. I didn't That's... think it was scary. Okay. I didn't feel like there was that much of a horror undertone. I and got what. So what does horror mean to I, you? What it, would you describe the genre of this film then, if not a horror um, uh, buddy would, comedy? Uh, yeah, this is more of like a slice of life. It's more of like a, I, I guess like a teenage uh, dark thriller. This is more like, Oh, that is like the most roundabout way to not call it a horror. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I'm just saying. I mean, like, I mean for me, uh, this is it's in like the a pantheon me- of teenage dark thrillers. It, it's like well, a meteor narrowly missing okay. the earth. <laughs> well, no, I don't think so. I mean, and you guys and everybody else can what disagree it, with me. What would have been added to it to make it a horror movie? I don't know. I, I don't know. It would not have been this for me. No, it's a okay. I I don't know. Right. I I really don't have a very good answer for you because I this is a, I don't have like a great argument here. It, it didn't resonate as as something. You, no, I mean just so we okay, get a context. Let, can I ask you sure. a, a separate question? Yeah. So is a movie like Sleepaway Camp a horror movie? Yeah. It is okay, even though that's obviously you watch it and you're not scared. With yeah, it. sure. Okay. I just wanted to know as far as it's, it's not all as, about feeling for me, and I didn't feel like this to me. Uh, with the way that my brain has sort of set genres apart, this didn't at all feel like a horror movie. Like, I felt when I was watching this, and even though there were more, I guess, scary parts and mm-hmm. parts like that in this, uh, I felt a lot more, and maybe it's just contextual, but I felt a lot more like um, the David Fincher film Panic Room here, or mm. something like Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf. And I don't think either of those would be classified as horror films, and and that's kind I of. I would say that <laughs> Panic Room, no, that's a thriller. Uh-huh. Disturbia, I I could see someone calling a horror. Okay. Movie. I mean, Disturbia has yeah. been compared to that one famous Hitchcock film, which is, well, yeah, it's a remake of, of Rear, Rear Window. Window. Yeah, right. Um, which in and of itself could be classified as a horror movie, right? Yeah. And but, yeah. and I. This is just like pretty much everything else with film or anything else in artistic um, artistic expression. Uh, This is totally up to the viewer, and most viewers view this very much as a horror film, and um, that's great for them. And for people who think about it that way and think of this as a horror film, that that's terrific. But just for me personally, I just I just personally didn't see it, so. Um, yeah, I just could not get that into this movie. Not saying it's bad or anything like that. It just didn't really do anything for me. Kind of like how you felt about Hell or High Water, where you thought it was, you know, you could see why people like it, but at the same time, just for me, just not really much here. So that's pretty much all I got. So moving on. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go next. Uh, I got to say that I really didn't go into this film with any real expectations i saw the trailer and i thought i was like oh this might be like a like an interesting like just b-rolls like middle of the road like horror film i don't think it's going to be that scary but you know i'm a big scaredy cat i guess because i screamed a couple of times a gas couple of times and i thought it was really thrilling i thought it was still a horror movie in my book and also i just got such a a visceral, vicarious thrill of laughter and enjoyment of just seeing these teenagers get their shit wrecked by this old man because it really says something that they have to write Norman's character to be such a hellacious 
monster in order to justify why these kids are not in the wrong for trying to <laughs> to rob a blind Gulf War vet. I gotta tell you, uh, fuck them. I gotta tell you, in my book, uh, still wasn't justified because at the end of the film, I'm it's like, not nah, I still, I still can't get behind her. Like I'm, I was like secretly hoping that he would show up and yeah, right. all of a sudden just kill her and that be the end of it. Right. So. I, yeah, I, I, I was, <laughs> I was like, really... are, you, are you being serious? Are you... Yeah. No, oh, no, no. no. Yeah. I was hoping okay. the end, the, the film, so spoilers for it, but I was hoping that the film would end with him essentially winning. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wanted him to win. I, I know that sounds awful, but I don't give a fuck. I, I wanted him to win. Yeah, and I don't even mean that from my own perspective, yeah. from a moral standpoint. Right. I just thought that was going to be a more satisfying narrative. From, yeah. From yeah. the structure yeah. of the actual film. Um, yeah. There were so many hilarious points in this film for me. Uh, one of them was when uh, the character of Alex, they barricade themselves uh, on the, the second floor and Norman's trying to like barge his way in. And eventually he's able – Alex is able to push himself um, outside and he falls on the, the glass ceiling of um, the, the, the enclosure over his, his kitchen, right? And he's trying not to move and you can see it crack and stuff and he's just trying to be really quiet. And you can he- tell Norman can, can hear him. <laughs> And, and then uh, it, it's just it's – it's hilarious because you knew he was going to fall for that glass window, the, for, that, for that glass ceiling. But it's awesome because then it quick cuts to to Norman leaning outside of the window with his gun. See the- like he's just listening for it and shoots him and then he falls through the ceiling. I'm like, yes. That that's was one of the incredible. It was hilarious. That was one of the few parts of the film that I definitely did think was was quite good even yeah. if I didn't necessarily love it. The film at all, but the fact that this went out of its way to step aside from tropes at certain points. Like Somebody laying on breaking glass, like you assume, and then when you think he's gonna roll off in this film, mm-hmm. he, Norman comes out. And nah, I'm gonna shoot you. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so it, you know that was that was that was really nice. It was, you know, I, I, obviously a much different kind of film, uh, but like in the fourth Hunger Games film last year, where they had the weird moment where they're walking through the tunnel and they just didn't give in really to to the uh, yeah. whatever the characters are coming up. That was like up. four fake-outs yes. in a row, in a good way. Yes. Because I just, yeah. And, and then once you think that they're definitely through, uh, then the shit happens, which is for the most part what happened in that particular scene. So give film the film credit for that. Continue, Jason. I also really enjoyed um, when they were in the basement and they find out the terrible, terrible secret of what he keeps in the basement. Um, and they're trying to escape, and Norman like switches off the lights. So he's like, "Now you're going to see what I see." And then the the, the the black and white like infrared camera with their eyes just dilated, looking like they're high. <laughs> and they're just fumbling through, and it's just amazing. It, it, it was, was like they're high. They look like they're in an anime movie. I yeah, mean, it was like Sagoi. It's like, <laughs> it's like no. uh, it, it was it, it was so entertaining. It was great. Uh, my my other favorite part is when she fell down. <laughs> when she when she fell down through for the for the ventilation and she crawled her way to she tried to crawl her way to freedom but Norman's like nope and he just grabs her leg and just rips her out of the that, fucking wall that was how amazing about the, the dog that can climb up air vents that dog that dog <laughs> that is great cool. I, I love, love that, that dog yeah how about, yeah how about the uh, in, in that particular scene when she falls down the air vent I just kind of assumed that she would she'd be crippled know, she'd be dead. Well, Either that or she would have gotten out by the time we see her next. And it cuts back like four minutes later and she's still sitting there all exorcist style, just like laying all fucked up. 
at the bottom of the vent. Hey, man, so she was... needs some time to, like, get her <laughs> shit back together because she just <laughs> got her shit wrecked. No, I... They shot money, man. Yeah. She, they she, shot money. <laughs> I love that the fucking text, text message. message. <laughs> yeah. Just missing an emoji. People who are so worried about the police showing up and sending a text message saying they shot money. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did they shoot the money or did they, the reason they why shoot that, money? The reason why that scene works is because no one had to deliver that line. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Although, and it wasn't an email form. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah, it, it just, is you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It it, it was. Um, I I thought it was just a really overall enjoyable film. Uh, also, I learned after the fact that Money, the person who plays Money, is also the kid from It Follows, who ends up having uh, sexual intercourse with uh, the main girl and ends up getting killed by his uh, his mother. Oh yeah, the, the demon, the, the, the cool demon, older kid. Yeah, the demon posing as yeah. his mother. So yeah, I thought oh. that was. I was like, oh, I didn't recognize you. Also, I was really happy that uh, his character died because he looked a lot like the rapper Post Malone, and I don't like that guy a lot. So yeah. So here's a re- and here is one uh, horror movie trope that definitely. Uh, stood true. You you honestly thought he was going to make it much further. I guess he he dies in the trailer, so yeah. it, it doesn't really Who, do anything. money? Yeah. Hell yeah. no, I didn't think money was going to make it. No, of course not. Yeah, no, yeah, money's yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah, cornrows. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's just a dick. <laughs> Bringing a gun to, like, rob, a, rob an old Gulf War vet who's blind and just like... Well, he knew the kind of shit this actually, Gulf he War vet. He really, he really <laughs> didn't. Uh, eventually, we got to talk about what's in the basement, because... That's Pro- probably. Yeah, so I'm going to pass it off to, to Nick. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I remember watching this trailer having uh, when I saw the movie The Shallows. Like, that was the first time I was exposed to it. And it was amazing because as I was watching the trailer, I kept thinking, holy shit, that the trailer, at least, is scaring the shit out of me. And yet I'm normally not into this, so to speak. Because as much as I keep saying that I'm turning the corner on... Horror, uh, horror films, I'm kind of like Tucson in the sense that I'm a self-professed scaredy cat, so I'm not really into just a fun house of jump scares and whatnot. But there was something so undeniably engrossing about this premise, especially because one of my favorite movies of all time is essentially the, the inverse of this premise, which is uh, Audrey Hepburn's Wait Until Dark, where Audrey Hepburn played the blind woman in which criminals break into her house and it becomes a cat and mouse game oh, as I, to I whether thought, she'll be okay or not. I thought this was going to be Audrey Hepburn as a blind woman who goes trying to rob other people's <laughs> houses. No, not that inverse. The other inverse as okay. far as where your sympathies lie. Okay. Uh, but uh, that movie is masterful in its plotting. Everybody should see it, especially if you even got a kick out of this. Uh, so anyway, um, also that probably just have to say, wait until dark. I hate jump scares, but that has like one of my favorite jump scares of all time. Anyway, which is? Well, I'm not gonna say what it is. You oh, gotta okay. watch the movie. Not to all mention right. just describing it would be here's, more fun. Yeah, here's a description. This of thing this jumps ju- out of nowhere. Of this jump scare that now will not be a jump scare. For right, you. right. Okay. It's uh, but. I'll admit this. It happens in a similar scene that happens in this movie, which is Audrey Hepburn turns off all the lights to even the playing fields, much like Lang character. And what happens in the dark is uh, very good. So this movie, Don't Breathe. What happens in the shadows? Uh, This movie, uh, I went and saw it. I had a lot of fun with this movie. I thought it was uh, scary when it needed to be. I thought it was exhilarating when it wasn't scary. And ultimately, yeah, like even the last 30 minutes, which I'm not really a big fan of, I was still finding myself invested. And so ultimately it was a a success for me. I wish the movie did not have... (laughs) The whole subplot with the basement, I was so 
so engrossed in the first 45 minutes because I thought it was a morally challenging now, movie. For for let's just, if you don't mind, can we just jump right into that, or do you have more? Really quickly, let me just sure, go, go a few more sentences, and then we'll go right to that. Okay. So, I, without saying too much about The Basement and all that, I think that these movies, like, this is two horror movies in one. The first being one of the, for me, scariest movies I've seen in a while, just as far as on a visceral level. It's mm, like, okay. I every time they would walk past Stephen Lang's character, and I was truly holding my breath to, to wait to see if he would be able to sniff them out and all just all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I was just on board with how this movie was doling out its little episodes of terror. And I'm not saying it was going to like keep me up at night or anything like that, but hmm. on a beat-for-beat beat basis, I was just really into it. Okay. Um, and I think the second half is a schlocky... B movie horror movie. Not to say that there it wasn't a B movie before, but a much different kind of B movie where it becomes something more akin to the just schlocky and overly gory for no real reason. Uh, and and also, yeah, what we're going to talk about in a few seconds uh, with the whole twist or whatever. Like once it lost that, I would say complexity. I was still enjoying it because I'm actually a pretty big fan of this movie. But I really thought this could have been something great uh, until the basement happened. And then it became a much different movie that I still enjoyed. So. Yeah. Uh, so uh, talking more about the basement scene, there is a, a nice little. A uh, little payoff with the early early basement scene and then the follow up scene about twenty minutes later, um, and you find out who the girl is. Well, first of all, you find out there's a girl, right? Yeah. Doubts. I mean, and you don't know that. Well, we I mean, kind of, we we throughout then after we kind of find out a little bit of who the girl is. Right, uh, but and, I'm just saying and, before... And, and then we find out what her purpose in the basement okay. was, though. Well, let me back up then really quickly okay. and say when I refer to the basement scene, I'm talking the moment they discover there is another human being okay. in the house. Like, that yeah. is the turning point when this movie becomes something different. Yeah. And that's what I mean as far as once they realize that this uh, blind man is having a hostage of his own, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter for whatever, like, it could have somehow morally justified it. I don't know how, but, like, you know, we still don't know that full explanation but once that was revealed then the movie becomes like okay this is clear cut these kids are the heroes of this movie yeah. and this guy is a horrible person no matter what especially because we we open the movie in media res with uh we see the scene of him dragging the main character by the so even that Lucky. certainly uh doesn't necessarily I, I can understand that it was always hinted at that he was a crazy person but i would have just appreciated uh uh, if the movie had committed to the idea that maybe he was just crazy because he was surviving and he just mm-hmm. went off the deep end. But yeah. because it had this ridiculous backstory, um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of silly and entertaining, but not scary anymore. I'm referring more to the the obvious scene in the basement, which is Rocky tied up and her pants getting scissored off and him heating up the semen to put in here with a turkey baster. No, and that's... The giant vat of... Was it a vat of semen or was it just like a Petri dish? Because I... I, Well, they said he... I mean, it was on a stove. They said he never leaves his house, so what do you think he's been doing that whole time? It just looked like it, it was in... It looked like it was in like a like a wonton soup container that you get from like a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> just like he's just spinning out into a wonton I mean, noodle container. Here's what I'll not say. Not enough noodles. <laughs> Here's what I'll say is that uh, 
I don't even want to call it a problem because it is definitely a interesting, twisty kind of scene. But this is now a film that will only be remembered for that particular scene and really nothing else by anyone who sees this in a, in a mainstream audience kind of thing. Just like if you went to go see Killer Joe and you tried to bring up anything else than the final scene with anybody, they'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't know if it's that. I mean, the turkey baser is certainly gross, but... It is not as indelible as what came before. Killer Joe purposely, I would say, catches the audience off guard. By the time he pulls out a turkey baser, despite the fact that it's certainly, we don't see that every day, we have already been primed for the fact that he's capable of stupid shit like that. Well, he's not a rapist, too. He's not a rapist. Important to remember. It's important. Yeah, I, I don't know why you're like <laughs> saying that at me. No, I'm uh, not. I'm not saying. I'm, uh, I'm making fun. I, I bet I'm the other of the side mo- of this issue. We're making no, fun I, of the I, movie. I, I know. I'm. I'm. I'm <laughs> yeah. What you said, saying, I'm more making fun of the movie. And well, first the, of all, the matter of fact, you, I'm not a rapist. Well, are you I making fun of it because you think that's a stupid line? Or? I think kind of. I, I yeah. think that's a stupid line and a stupid justification. Well, well, yeah, it's a stupid just. First of all, that's like horror 101. Like every killer, whatever. Has their own silly delusional right. sense. Of, I mean, of Jigsaw. Morality. We 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 talked about seven films in the soft series in which Jigsaw <laughs> continually okay. claims I'm not a murderer. Well, which is which is true. I'm just saying, like and that's just I'm, horror. I'm, I'm not trying at all to defend anything of what uh, the 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 character is 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 doing in in really any way, shape, or he's form. He's just hilariously full of shit. Well, he's obviously now a horrible person as he's kidnapped and impregnated a a pretty much innocent girl well, but at the same time if you want to compare him to somebody like jigsaw who has this serial act of laying out all the like it, he's just a guy who's trying to get his revenge in his home who is now justified in his own head what he's doing and it's but it's that that I'm not a rapist line. I was like, oh. He didn't choose her at random. I mean, it was. But why for, do you think that's a fault of the movie? Like, why do you like not just? Say, no, I, I don't even necessarily oh, say okay. it's a fault of the movie. I just when he said it, I'm just like, ah, all right, that's fine. Like, it, I mean, the movie itself is supposed to be grounded in some kind of reality. This yeah. is not a supernatural horror movie. It's not a movie in which I would say. Uh, external forces matter as far as like the police and whatnot. The police are like we talked about. It follows like it follows there. It, it's kind of a Charlie Brown world where the adults are just the want wants of the world. Isn't and, that with most horror films? Right, but in Parents here, just don't understand. <laughs> but in here, once again, we also have another isolated uh, slice of terror in the sense that nothing matters outside of this house. Mm-hmm. And so for me, at least, like when he said that, I was like. I was so the opposite of shock that I was like, that, that's just only natural. Of course he doesn't think of himself as a rapist. And of course he's going to justify it because the tragedy plus yeah, self-justification sure. equals stupid delusions of, you know. So, But I, uh, I will say, though, uh, one of the most like fist-pumpy, hell yeah, moments is when he gets the turkey baster shoved in his mouth and say, yeah. how's that taste, bitch? It's just, ah, oh, it's yeah, great. That was, a, that was a wonderful, nice little bit of uh, kind of, that was one one moment when it, cause I said earlier that I thought it got a little overly gory. Not because I thought it got gross, but just because I thought it got silly. Mm-hmm. But that was one moment that was like, it earned it. And, and I was like, yeah, that's something memorable. And you have a handcuffed blind man spitting out semen then. Yeah. 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 That, was, that, was, that, that, was, that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, uh, yeah, Tucson, what are your thoughts on, on the basement scene? Uh, my thoughts on the basement scene is like pretty much 
repeating what you guys have said is like I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed the uh, the turkey baster in the mouth, um, but I <laughs> really enjoyed the cum shot. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's that tapped into something for you. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I thought it was interesting how. Let us give thanks. Uh, what the fuck? Wow. Um, oh, for all is ready. Anyway, I thought it was interesting, uh, the justification of why he chose this girl in particular to lock into his basement because she killed his daughter or – was it yeah. his daughter or – Yeah. He's pretty old. I mean, where's his wife? Whoa. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean – That's ages. I'm, I was say. I'm sorry. David Letterman just had a baby like five years ago and he's like upwards of like almost 70. Okay. It was just like I was wondering where, where his – his wife is. And He's a virile man, man. Okay, well, that, that's, no, that's I, fine. I, I do think this has the same kind of problems that we just talked about with Hell or High Water, where this film thinks leaving something ambiguous brings yeah. more to the story. That's ultimately why I thought the backstory was just kind of silly, because I'm like, you're not going to have enough time to fully, not explain it, but to fully embrace it, that, yeah, you're going to be left with these kind of silly... For, for example, one way the backstory could have worked in the way that it was presented for me, and, and once again, I hate to say a movie should have done this, but but let's just do use an illustration as an example. I actually thought it would have been kind of interesting if... Cause so we're, we're to believe that he's uh, he's blind, obviously, but he's been blind since the Gulf War. So he was blind when he had his daughter, right? It's never really right. And so I kind of would have loved actually some kind of second twist that this is just a random girl, and he doesn't realize that it's not okay. the right girl. You know, like like how could he have like look? Can you imagine this blind man who has? Newspaper clippings that he cannot read, mind you. Yeah. Yeah. Going yeah. after this girl and actually yeah. like successfully orchestrating her abduction and, how, and yeah. getting her how back he, to his actual. I mean, how did you get that harness I, together? I, I was just gonna fucking say that. Like, yeah, I, I get well, it. Well, he made it yeah. when his daughter was still alive because he's like, here, honey, oh. stay still. I have to. Oh god. I have to, I have to make oh. this in case you ever get killed in a car accident. But no, and th- but that's what I mean though. When I say well, earlier but, that it, it this film becomes th- there's two horror films in here. There's the grounded, in my opinion, terrifying uh, thing. Oh, I should say vet that goes bump in the night yeah. movie, <laughs> and then there's <laughs> then there's the schlocky makes no non you know sense. Movie. I will say, and I you know for me obviously this doesn't make it a horror film. I will say. Uh, Definitely the Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Rooney Mara moment pretty much replayed again from um, Girl the Dragon Tattoo. Girl the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, when he's hoisting her up in that, that harness thing and she's kicking and screaming and all that. Yeah, that's fucking horrifying. Oh, yeah. Like, holy fuck. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, at first I thought that he was just abducting this woman to be sort of his surrogate daughter and like some really perverse like sort of father-daughter sort of dynamic. He's like, oh, no, he was trying to conceive a child for this woman. Then he was going to let her go. Oh, you're just going to let her go. He's going to let her go after nine months. No, she's just going to turn into Brie Larson from Room. Let's be serious. Man. How about the uh, – how about him screaming no over and over no! after he shoots no! her? Oh, he's blind. No! He's got he's to use his words. He's, bl- 
<laughs> well, he's blind. <laughs> he has to use words. I thought that was hilarious. So, um, I mean, there's so many. Yeah. There, there, there's so many hilarious moments in this film uh, that are probably not meant to be hilarious, and that's and, what makes it so great. And none of them, other than him getting shot and falling through the window, involve who uh, a guy who's actually played as the main character through the first 30 minutes of the movie, and that is Alex's character. Yeah. As uh, the the feature will focus on him throughout uh, the first act, which I thought was a, actually some interesting filmmaking. As a, yeah. It, it focused around a secondary character and then switched over to the main that character. That was actually, Alex was a, I was really hoping they were going to subvert something, but then they didn't, and that was too bad. Now, there was more beyond this moment, but the fact that Alex essentially saves her from the uh, from the turkey baster, <laughs> yeah. um, like in, in her hour of need, I thought really that they were gonna maybe subvert it and have her have to save him at some point, but really that didn't happen. And I was kind of disappointed in that. Um, one thing I want to talk about is that I thought the, this movie cinematography was pretty great, uh, mm-hmm. not even necessarily on, like on an artful level. Although I thought some shots were fantastic, but this movie in that first half hour does such a wonderful job of definitely setting up the geographical space of this house. Totally agree. We we see everything that's going to be used, every window that can't be used, every nook and cranny that um, is going to become in contact with. How about the uh, also uh, first of all a perfect choice of setting and also uh, really well worked in and paid off uh, use of being in a pretty much abandoned neighborhood in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. And then, oh, well, how is all this shit happening and no one's hearing this? Yeah. They've actually laid yeah, it out pretty Yeah, it's not Batman v Superman yeah. where someone turns up and dudes is like, oh, thank God there was a volcano that erupted in well, Detroit and everybody except the blind man evaded. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, It actually did a pretty good job of setting up the the reasoning of why, oh, why the fuck didn't anybody come in and help For sure. them? For sure. Yeah. yeah, and I love that the cinematography is, or not is, but has this visual language because that's so crucial in a movie that is essentially the horror of... A sight versus a non uh, scene, and uh, you know, it even has a sick sense of humor when that when that camera glides into the workshop room and it glides straight up to that hammer, and like it's like we know you've seen a horror movie before, so we're just gonna lay it out. Mm. What's gonna be you know what you have to look forward to? I, I totally ate all that up, and I thought that was fantastic. I think this obviously goes without saying, especially for a a character, a antagonist who relies on. Like sound, no sight at all. It's like, but it had some really good sound design. Yeah, really there, good sound direction. There are so many instances in which we sound that would normally be blocked out of a of a normal movie, um, or be uh, incidental and we wouldn't right. even notice. Like breathing, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I know that sounds cheeky because of the title and whatnot, but it's true. Like when the like we that those aspects are turned up to so that way we as a viewer can kind of be on an even playing field with the um with the antagonist in this case so we know exactly what he can hear and i I thought that whole aspect was great as well um the only time in which i thought that the playing with the senses uh could have been better was um 
the whole I'm going to turn off a light so you can see what I see. Before that moment, I thought the movie was doing a wonderful job with this minimal lighting because uh, the pretty much, yeah, all the lights on in the house are off. But it does a nice enough job of having some street lights come through that obviously he doesn't notice or care about or whatever. But So we can see everything that's happening, but it's also, you know, it's pretty dark. Um, it's just it's straddled that fine line between clarity and yet uh, spooky. But once, once that moment happened where he does turn off the light, and it switches to that kind of black and white infrared. That was a little too, uh, like, 2016 uh, paranormal activity type. Like, I, th- I thought there was a better way they could have illustrated that. I, I, Even though, like, I love the concept of it. And, yeah. like I said, uh, a movie that predates this, like, Wait Until Dark does the same exact thing. But that movie finds a pretty ingenious way to get around that aspect I mean, as well with uh, flash bulbs and in, fridge lights and in, such. In an age of... Um... In an age of surround sound, especially in theaters, um, man, I would be so on board with a five-minute just black screen. Oh yeah, I, I would, I would love it. Yeah, and I, I think this is a film that really had nothing to live up to, so yeah. it could have pulled it off. Right, and that that move, or not that movie, but that that movement, that moment uh, has, I would say, uses the the site, so to speak well for a good 30 seconds uh, because there was one moment when she is walking towards him that I'm like, oh, that's great because she she would never do that obviously if the lights are off, so we can't have that moment without this. But everything because it goes on longer than that. But everything mm-hmm. else, uh, including like the other girl and the the arms through the uh, you know the bookshelves, bookshelves or whatever, or whatever yeah. down there, whatever yeah. like all that was just like you know this would happen whether the lights are off or are you know so it was just kind of a waste and just a in my opinion silly visual gimmick so one part of this film that i i honestly am not really sure how to feel about because i i thought it was an interesting little scene that got a little too stereotypical or tropey whatever but I also thought it was interesting and an interesting use of both old and new technology. Uh, and that was the uh, late-in-the-film car scene involving the dog and Rocky, uh, a scene that I could tell that Tucson actually quite enjoyed. Oh, so yeah. I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to get your feelings on it because I thought it was interesting how she figured out the, the whole pulley thing with the, the car door closing after, you know, obviously we see the pulley thing earlier in, where she's pretty much stuck in that. And then she ends up getting the dog trapped in the back with the the back seat and the the pulley with the uh, the door. And I just thought that was a very weird and actually one of my favorite scenes from the entire film. And I I don't know. It's, uh, I just I just really liked it and want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Too. It was it was just bizarre. At first, I yeah. thought that she was going to try to decapitate the dog. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought there was going to be some kind of violence yeah. like, against <clears throat> the dog. Yeah. But- yeah, yeah, but it it didn't happen, and then the dog just kept on going for it. Um, and I'm just like, I thought it was really funny when she tried to like get back in the fucking car, and then the dog is just like it. It pans out to the dog standing on the roof of the car, just like staring at her. I was like, she's not gonna get away. It's like, yeah, no. but it was a strange, uh, strangely resourceful scene in a film that that did do very well to try to get away from tropes as obviously she looks for keys and doesn't find them and yeah. like she doesn't all of a sudden just figure out how to hotwire a car like no, she yeah. actually you know figures out how to get out of that particular situation even though it doesn't 
work out for her in the end. So. This movie, for the most part, follows the same, I would say, logic of a movie that we saw earlier, like Green Room, where these characters are not the smartest people in the world, but they are not the dumbest horror cliches, where they, they do things that we would think to do in those situations, but aren't just, like, <laughs> the stupidest thing you could think of. Um, <laughs> for me, at least, uh, as far as the dog and the car scene, um, I will admit, that was another weakness of this movie. Okay. Not that scene itself, but everything after the house felt like we watched, like, three we watched the movie kind of end three different times mm-hmm. because we've got the turkey baser scene, which kind of feels like almost like this final moment. I mean, she literally... Which, and what you guys are saying, uh, horror films do not have definitive endings. Usually it goes on and on and on. So. Yeah, it's just... But it's not that horror movies do have that, but like not to the extent where it's like... I mean, like I talked about earlier, like um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Uh, for example, in that movie, that protagonist does not get away until the first possible moment she can get away. Like, that movie at least does enough on a script level to make it plausible that she's being roped into this situation again and again because, like, she goes to a gas station and that ends up being the father of the, uh, you know, Leatherface, whatever. Here, once she's out of the house, it started to drag out, like, as mm-hmm. to... Oh, here he comes again, especially when we're introducing the idea that, in my opinion, he only really, in my, at least as far as how I was gelling with this movie, he really should only have the upper hand because he's on his territory. The fact that, and I know he's got a dog, but the fact that he's just as resourceful in the outside world doesn't make as much sense to me. Uh, Who is this guy, Matt Murdock? Yeah, as the suspense uh, that I was feeling when when they were in his house. Because of course I was like, oh God, of course he's got the upper hand and of course I would be scared. He knows every creek and every every corner. But the minute that, you know, she gets out, he drags her back and, you know, I just felt like there was just too much, a uh, little too many endings, so to speak. Uh, and especially, of course, we get the final scene <laughs> uh, in which he, uh, which is a standard horror staple. Like, we we always want to be left with the idea that things aren't resolved because that's horror in a nutshell. Yeah, he's got to come back for the next sequel. So right. if this ends up uh, doing between 75 and 100 million worldwide sequel? Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I... Fuck it, what do they got to lose? I wouldn't put it past it. I mean, that... that Besides cool. the unfortunate state of horror films. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, not even the unfortunate state, but that's that's a horror trope in and of itself. I mean, you know, it it, it might not even be uh, Fede Al- Alvarez, but that yeah. horror sequels are... are what... I, I, don't even, I don't even necessarily despise the idea of a horror sequel. It right. is, it's but when it gets into the five to six film like yeah. paranormal activity where it's like, you know what? That's enough. Right. If, Just don't be like the guys from Saw. It's like, oh yeah, we had so much more story to tell. It's like you have, you, hey, you watch Don't hey, Breathe. Saw 8 when, is coming out. When now. you watch <laughs> Don't <laughs> Breathe, you're like, yeah. that's the story. The end. Well, and that's the thing is that if it's a movie like It Follows, and I know that's like, I don't want a sequel to It Follows. I don't but, either. A movie like It Follows opens itself up to a sequel more than a movie like Don't Breathe. Because like, the only reason why Don't Breathe works is because it's an immediate movie. It's a movie in which they're trapped because they w- walked into the wrong house. But once you're out of that house, the danger does not follow you around. <laughs> yeah. uh, the same way like Supernatural Beans can. Or... Now we have her and her sister, who is named Diddy, uh, getting out of town. Diddy like Diddy Kong? Uh, yeah, or, or, Diddy or Kong like, Racing, or, or like P Diddy. 
Oh. Yeah, something. And uh, Daddy. also too, um, I I don't know why I just caught this really quickly uh, early on in the film and thought it was just a really odd and hand-fisted choice, but uh, having the uh, stepfather yes. have a uh, swastika tattoo yes. on his I knew you were going to say that, yeah. Uh, what, like, I is did that... I notice that uh, Hey, like, we're, I, I... we're really trashy people. If we didn't put that across, we're, we're really trashy people. This takes place in the people. same universe as Green Room, actually. He, he's, he's a red lace. <laughs> I mean, it takes place in the same universe, which is the world. Yep. <laughs> it's like... It's like uh, he also has a machine gun under his recliner, like in uh, Blue Ruin. God. But <laughs> what it, it just, like, for me, it's just like, well, let's talk about this character in 20 seconds because we have no time for him. Let's just put a swastika in his hand. It's like, yeah. oh, no. come on. Just so you know that this is a really shit situation. Whoa! She will do whatever she needs to do in order to, like, whoa, leave Whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe he got that tattoo when he was drunk, and really, he's a nice guy. Uh, so moving on to ratings, I think. I'm just, right? I'm just gonna, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that is that is that cool? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. For me, I didn't hate or love this movie. Uh, I personally did not put this in the horror genre. For me, um, is I'm in the minority of one. But I put this in a comedy. Okay, I'll yeah. let you talk about that more in your rating. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I will say that uh, I definitely think that this uh, does have the potential to be very enjoyable for quite a lot of people, as mm-hmm. it was for both of you. Uh, definitely the most fun I've seen Tucson have in the theaters. Oh, yeah. Neon Demon. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel bad about uh, that now in hindsight, uh, but I, I don't feel bad about enjoying this film in the way that I enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it that I enjoyed Neon Demon. No, Fuck you. not that. <laughs> so anyways, um, right down the middle for me, two and a half out of five for this film, Don't Breathe. Um, not great, not awful, just kind of there for me. Um, but I just like with It Follows, I'm glad that so many people enjoyed it. Did so, you like this more than It Follows? Yes. Okay. I was excited. Yeah. So moving yeah. on to Toussaint. Yeah, um, any film that I feel like I can get this much gratification from even though it has such a um on the surface like very low to the ground concept and it's like it's really just a bunch of kids in a in a closed room horror film it's just like it, it's like the gimmick is that the the monster or the killer is blind Whoa, and it's his house so he knows everything um infiltrated cyclops lair yeah <laughs> cyclops lair um i really really enjoyed this film i laughed my ass off both during and after the film, just, just yeah, you call. laughed for like a five minute straight period when we were, uh, yeah, when we had left the theater. I that, know that was interesting. It was, it was incredible. It, it was just, I just, I just, the more I thought about it, the funnier it got. It I can't, like, I can't get past Tucson and Neon Demon. Yeah. She's gonna eat the fucking eyeball. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So Good I'm gonna monsters. I'm going to. Uh, Give this a three out of five because I really enjoyed it. Um, it improves upon memory, and I I would probably watch it again and get drunk and watch it. Yeah. So. Yeah. See, I think that would probably be the preferable viewing for me as yeah. well. But yeah. Moving on to Nick. I think I'm the only person here that enjoyed it in a pure horror sense. Okay. Not, not from start to finish necessarily, but like I the, the I. I wouldn't just classify this as a horror film. I would say that this is a good example of horror, uh, not a perfect example, and certainly has some problems. But this, I, I think it says a lot that 
I, my love for horror is like, or at least I would say the flame of my horror enjoyment has been stoked by going to see this. I mean, that was half the reason why I ended up watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Obviously a far superior film, but that says something as to the testament of what I got out of this movie as far as reminding me what I love about being scared in cinema. Um, so I enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, on a lot of different levels as far as being scared. And yes, I certainly, it is a, certainly at parts a black comedy. I don't know that I would classify it as a comedy, but I, I think it's entertaining on a lot of different levels. Um, I wish it could have been a little more uh, complex and nuanced when it comes to its morals, because uh, that just would have been like truly one for the ages. It could have been one of my uh, favorite movies of the year if it had done that. But uh, as it stands, I've seen better horror films this year, but I will admit the first 35 minutes of this movie was probably the most I've been scared in the cinemas as far as from like a stretched out period of time because the minute they get into that house before from that moment or even just the minute they arrived at the house from that moment until the basement I was just on the edge of my seat, not wanting them to go <laughs> past any corner and whatnot. Uh, even just the little review of when they're in the guy's bedroom. And it's not a jump scare, and yet it's startling when the camera whips back and you see that he's woken up because he's you know, he's not making any noises. And it's little moments like that that I just thought were fantastic uh, little horror set pieces. This would have been a better film if it was made by a foreign film director, in my opinion. Really? Yes. I I could... I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, I'm thinking but, of The Vanishing, where things are happening in the background more than in the foreground. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is such an, uh, I would say, like I said earlier, an immediate film. That, mm. like, The Vanishing is psychological dread. This it is. is. This is, like, visceral terror. So but I don't it's know. A, even though it's a different kind of film, yeah. I still would like to see it, for me personally, in that sort of uh, presentation, and I think it would actually do a lot to push this more towards being a horror film for me. So, yeah. I agree to disagree. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I give this a three and a half out of five. I totally recommend it, and uh, I, I would say that even if it goes off the rails, like the train never stops moving for me. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. What do you guys think uh, Kenny would think about this? I think he would enjoy it. I yeah. Think, yeah, I would definitely yeah. recommend this to Kenny. Kenny, if you're listening, yeah. go see this movie. Yeah, Kenny, uh, go see this movie. He was talking about wanting to see this, so I, uh, I'm i interested to see what he thinks about it. Kenny, pretty much, if it's a passable horror film, he likes yeah. it, so yeah. I, th- I think he will as well. Yeah. If you have any thoughts on Don't Breathe or anything else we've talked about uh, in, in recent memory, you can always send those on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, if you have any thoughts on the next film we're going to review, which is uh, kind of timely as we're getting into that season, uh, remembering the financial downturn in 2008 uh, in September of that year. Economic recession season, boys and girls. Yeah, yeah. September, right before an election. All right. Uh, anyways, uh, a film that... Oh, I- man. I don't... I just Before you say it, I mm-hmm. just want to like, throw this out there, but... November, we should do like a political week, like or two, like where we. I, I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, before let's I do forget the about. Shrink candidate. 
Or we can talk about that later. Maybe we could. Yeah. I mean, we could. There, there are certainly uh, a number of films to choose from. So. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to put that on record. That's fine. That we might be doing that. Yeah. That, that I could understand that. What are we going to watch next week, Alex? The, uh, the film we're going to watch next week is uh, a film that uh, there have been quite a few made uh, surrounding the... I'm sorry. Sorry, nothing. Okay, thanks, Susan. Uh, surrounding the financial crisis of 2008, uh, this was... I don't know if it was the first, but it was certainly an early film as it uh, debuted in early 2011. And I... Of all the ones I've seen, which is this, Too Big to Fail, and uh, The Big Short, uh, in my opinion, the best, and that is 2011's Margin Call, mm. a film that uh, I caught on to uh, in 2013, and I absolutely fell in love with the first time I saw it. It also made me really uh, like a uh, completely new director at the time, J.C. Chandor, who in a since has made All is Lost with Robert Redford and uh, A Most Violent Year, uh, a film that me and Nick both saw and both uh, quite enjoyed. I really enjoyed. And, uh, I was going to say, I like both of those movies that you just mentioned, so I'm yeah. excited to see his first movie. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a certainly a departure from those two films, as this is definitely an ensemble cast film uh, that features a very interesting short period of time uh, on whatever floor it is of this firm as they, they go from this really weird perspective of pretty much being the ones who discover that this mortgage crisis is coming and they have a chance to profit from it. So I got to say, I've said on this podcast that I love movies that are set in one room. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing I'm always forgetting to mention. But the other flip side of that is I also love movies that take place in one short time frame. So Dave's Confused or whatever. Like any movie that's set like like... Like and, I read the back of the DVD box that it's set in twenty four hour time yeah. period. I and and for the most it. part, uh, that is more or less probably about eighty percent of the film takes place in a eleven hour time period. So oh it's it's it pretty much happens overnight one night as the majority oh, of it. Yeah. Uh, and it is a very interesting collection of characters uh, at different parts of their careers. Uh, with different aspirations and different chances to profit off of something or uh, moral. I mean, there's all kinds of things uh, with a great cast of characters. I was going to include... say, I'm also excited to see now Paul Bettany, right? Paul Bettany. Because after Dogville, I forgot he can do more stuff than just Vision. <laughs> and he's one of the best parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in my opinion, too. I can see that. He's just a good actor But he just doesn't general. get to do much. He, do he doesn't. Uh, but... Uh, we have two of my favorite all-time actors here in Jeremy Irons, also uh, appearing here, Stanley Tucci in a role, too. And uh, you have some other people who just kind of show up who are kind of surprising, like Penn Badgley and also Demi Moore. It's just, it's just a very interesting collection of actors and characters, uh, including Kevin Spacey, who gets his chance to have his big monologue towards the end of the film. And it's... Uh, it's just an overall really, really well done film, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to talking about it on next week's episode. So again, if you have any thoughts on Margin Call, Don't Breathe, or anything else we've talked about, feel free to send them on to filmtankshow at gmail.com, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow, and you can find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. From Nick Cheney to Zotniki, <laughs> Toussaint Egan. Say it again. Toussaint Egan. <laughs> thank you. And myself, Alex Tiegman. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. <laughs>